Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Sabine Howard from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. In today's episode, we talk to Henrik Lund, who is professor at the Maersk Institute at the University of Southern Denmark. Thanks to his playware, he's been rallying children on the playground to smash virtual bugs and play the mythical Pong game that I'm sure you all know. Whether a bit slow, old, hyperactive, or just tired, the game molds itself to a perfect fit. Finally, Henrik is pushing his modular robot interfaces to the market thanks to his entertainment robotics company. Hi Henrik, welcome to Talking Robots. Thanks a lot, thanks. You've recently been all over the news with your intelligent playgrounds installed in schools, kindergartens, and youth clubs in Denmark. So what's so special with these playgrounds? Well, the special thing with these uh, playgrounds is that they are inspired by modular robotics. So we have, uh, so to speak, created, uh, you could even say, physical computer games in the playground. So we take some inspiration from uh, from the computer games, and we put that out in a physical form in playgrounds. And um, that's really the uh, the interesting thing with robotics, that uh, robotics, we have input and output in a physical form, so we can actually create these uh, physical entities like uh, like pr- playgrounds and then take inspiration from, uh, from things like computer games and PlayStation games and so forth. And then we can put that out in a physical form in the playgrounds and hopefully thereby get uh, some of the young people to be more physically active. We all know about this uh, threat about the obesity uh, happening all over the world. And uh, and we see uh, this uh, new playware, playgrounds as a part of an answer to that uh, that uh, difficulty we have in uh, in how do we activate our, our young people. So what do these playgrounds look like? Well, essentially, they are made out of uh, of modules, robotic modules or tiles. We can even say so. So each of these tiles have a, uh, a sensor, and they have uh, that can sense the force uh, with which you you touch the the tile, and then it can emit light in different colors, and it can emit sound. So essentially, we have a number of these tiles. Um, small tiles that are the size of uh, approximately 30 by 30 centimeters. Uh, so, so essentially the size of, uh, of a foot, uh, so to speak. And, uh, and they can be put together. We can put, for instance, um, let's say uh, 30 by 30 of these, uh, these tiles together. And they, uh, they, together they form, a, for instance, the ground uh, of the playground, or they can form a wall or something else. And then when you touch, when you jump around on this uh, this floor made out of the tiles, you are activating the this intelligent playground. I would have loved to play the Bug Smasher game. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, so so uh, so the Bug Smasher game is is essentially that uh, that somewhere around on this uh, this playground you'll have small um, small uh, colored lights appear small box appear and uh, and your task is then to run around and smash this box when you when you smash a box it uh, it goes 
you can hear that it, uh, that you you smash the bark and and then you can of course you can compete against uh, other people by by trying to to catch most barks over the time when you smash a bark it it dies out and it appears somewhere else on the playground so you really have to run around and uh, and jump on this uh, this box this uh, this tiles uh, to to get a high as high a score as, uh, as possible so that's kind of the basic uh, box smasher game but there are many other games as well. So what's the intelligence behind these games? How do these games adapt to different children or to a child who's tired? Yeah, so, so essentially the, the really interesting point here is, really also for our future research, is that, that we can actually have these games to adapt to the, the individual user, to the individual child. So uh, what we have done is we have implemented, in these uh, this tiles we have implemented a, uh, an artificial neural network that can recognize the human behavior. So essentially, we have trained this neural network to recognize whether it's a young child or an older child, whether the child is playing the game or not playing the game, whether they're playing fast or slow, whether they're playing in a continuous or discontinuous manner, and so forth. So we can categorize the individual uh, into some of these categories so essentially, when we have new children coming and starting jumping and uh, trying to smash these bugs, the playground will um, will recognize that, for instance, this is a young child playing in a, in a slow manner and maybe in a discontinuous manner. So the game, so to, see, to say, says, now I want to adapt to this child. I should make the game slower because this is a slow child and a child who's not really playing the game in a, in a continuous manner. So maybe by changing some of the things in the game, the game can make the child play in a better manner. So essentially, in that case, the game will be slower, the box will appear closer to the child, and the child will hopefully by that become interested in, in how is it that this game is working because the box are now appearing just in front of him or her, and by accident she will uh, she will touch them, and she will hear the sound and become interested in uh, in playing the game. And then maybe little by little, when she starts playing in in a more continuous manner, maybe she becomes slightly faster. Then the game can allow the box to appear further away from her, to appear in a faster manner, and so forth. So essentially, using these adaptive strategies to make the child become even more physically active. Is the goal also to make sure that they don't feel that they all feel on the same level? Yes, that's that's of course uh, that's of course the long-term goal is that with this uh, adaptive strategy what we can do is we can uh, we can allow the playground to change so that for some children it's uh, it's working on one level and for other children it adapts to work on another level so so let me give you an example of that if we imagine another game that we have made called uh, pong which is the old computer game uh, that many of us remember from the 70s where you have these two bars that you are actually playing this uh, ping pong game you're controlling a bar up and down uh, now instead of controlling this bar up and down on your computer screen uh, what you're doing is you are yourself this bar. You are running up and down the, um, the playground and trying to hit 
a ball, which is a light pattern coming towards you on the playground, and you hit that ball, that uh, that light pattern, and you send that back to the other side of the playground where there's another player who's trying to hit it, hit this, uh, this light pattern and sends it back. Now, if two people are playing this game, well, one may be a child, the other may be a parent. Uh, for the child who may be, let's say, uh, six years uh, of age, may find this interesting, but for the dad, maybe he's not really finding this interesting because it's not challenging him. So what we can imagine to do with the the adaptive strategies is that the ball can maybe become faster when it goes over to the dad and become slower when it comes over to the child or even become larger when it comes over to the child. So the child has an equal chance in terms of his physical abilities to hit the ball as uh, the chances that the dad uh, has of hitting the ball with his physical capabilities. So you can imagine this really giving giving equal opportunities over different age groups. You can uh, imagine this giving equal challenges and opportunities over over different uh, even different uh, handicaps uh, and um, and therefore we we're really trying to explore this to see how we can make uh, these adaptive playgrounds. So Pong and the Bug Smasher sound like a lot of fun, but what are the advantages of these intelligent systems with respect to more traditional playground games such as soccer? Um, well, if if you if you think in terms of uh, of, of soccer, this this is uh, this is of course fun, and uh, traditional play is is uh, is great fun and so forth. The problem is that our young people today they are not playing it as much as they did say, uh, 50 years ago, what has happened is that our culture has changed, our uh, way of living has changed, our urban uh, environment has changed. So children are not playing as much in uh, in these uh, groups as they did uh, maybe 30, 50 years ago. They're doing more activities that are, uh, are inactive, so to speak. So the question is really not whether we can just turn back the time to, to what it was, because that's not possible. The question is, how can we take the inspiration from what our children find motivating and put that out in a new form? And the children do find computer games interesting, do find media, television series, and so forth interesting. And you can then ask yourself, why is that so? Well, one of the reasons is that the television series, the computer games, they give really the rules of play, whereas previously you could learn how to play by being together many children and the older one would tell you how to play. Well, since these groups are not there anymore, what happens is that you can learn how to play in different ways and there you really find the inspiration from the media, being computer games, being television uh, series and so forth that really gives the frame, give, gives the rules for how to play. And what we are then saying is, well, maybe utilizing our knowledge from robotics, we can create that in a physical form, because that's exactly the, um, the quality of robotics in these terms, is that it has a physical form. We can take it out in these ways of, uh, of putting rules of play into physical 
objects into physical play tools now. So really we're trying to use that really to create this kind of social interaction that we did see before. It becomes uh, this intelligent playgrounds, this playware becomes a mediator for creating play. So we are developing different kinds of games. Now we talked about the box smasher before, but we're also creating things like color race where the children are together trying to hit as many colors that are appearing on the playground as possible. We're creating a, a disco game. We're creating robo music on the playground. So depending on how you move around on the playground, you are performing different um, musical pieces or you're making things like uh, a, what can I say, a pop star performance uh, on the playground. The playground become the mediator for you to start making different kinds of performances for each other. So so really the 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 goal of, of creating this is to get some uh, some social interaction amongst the children in a physical form. These playground applications fit in your idea of playware that you mentioned before. So more generally, what is playware? Um, in general, we define playware as uh, intelligent hardware and software to create play or playful experience amongst users of all ages. So what we have uh, talked about now is maybe mainly uh, the playgrounds is mainly for, for children, of course, but we do see uh, in general playware as, uh, as uh, this intelligent hardware and software to create play for everybody. So um, so we are doing it in, in different uh, different circumstances. We have a, a number of other applications where we're using playware such as uh, take this, a similar thing like um, like the playground tiles. We have made the, what we call robotic therapy tiles that are, are now installed in, um, in the hospitals and uh, rehabilitation centers here, again here in, uh, in the local neighborhood in Odense in Denmark. Uh, and in the in the hospital of uh, Southern Fünn, where they are used for cardiac uh, patients, that is patients that have gone through a heart operation, and used to create playful rehabilitation. We all uh, know about rehabilitation. That's uh, often very uh, tedious. It's uh, boring and it's repetitive. And just imagine sitting up on a fitness bike or having to do the stairs up and down stairs. That's really after a few times. That's very boring. So what we're saying is now we can use a similar thing with robotic therapy tiles where we implement games, so to speak, so that the rehabilitation becomes a game. You're essentially like the children. You're playing different games, which makes your your physical active in the case of the cardiac patients, it's important that they get their pulse up on specific levels at certain points after their their operations. So we can make the games so that they are they fit the particular user at a particular time. Uh, the interesting thing with the robotic therapy tiles is, of course, that anybody can install this, set up a a a field of this or wall of this within uh, within one minute. A therapist simply take these tiles, put them together, their magnetic uh, co connections, and uh, so you take this out of a box where they have been recharged, and you put them up on a wall uh, within uh, one minute. You're playing the games. 
uh, and you select different games depending on the, the individual patient or the patient group that you have. Other applications uh, may be uh, things where we are using, uh, again, similar modular robotic uh, tiles for children with autism uh, or other patients with cognitive problems. Uh, we have been using different modular robotics for elderly with uh, dementia together with the University of Siena where we have explored how the, the interaction with such modular robotic devices that can give feedback on the interaction, how they can uh, trigger the elderly to start um, doing different uh, different actions that help the, the therapist come into some uh, different kinds of communication with the patients. You've also been very active in the field of educational robots with the iBlocks and Afrobot. So what's the goal of the Afrobot project? Yes, we, we, have, we have also taken these uh, this concepts of uh, modular robotics uh, into an educational use um, where we, we have these blocks we call I-blocks. And the goal when we go to Africa with this is that we want uh, people to become developers and not users of technology. So can we actually, by utilizing some of the things we have from the modular robotics, provide tools that allow anybody to become developer of uh, technology. And that's very important in Africa that we do not uh, just allow people to use our Microsoft uh, system, use our uh, mobile phones and so forth, but actually give them opportunities to become creators and developers of the new technology for this new uh, millennium so that they can actually long-term start to to export on the world market. So we have created this, uh, this iBlocks that are essentially, uh, um, initially they were simply Lego blocks where we put a microprocessor into each Lego block and when you put these blocks together, they start to uh, communicate with each other. So the connections in the Lego blocks gives you the connections between the, the different uh, modules. Um, and we could uh, then create the uh, sensory blocks and we could create the uh, actuator blocks that could send out sound and light and uh, and uh, sonar signals and so forth and so we created this um this uh, concept of programming by building so when you put some of these i blocks together you're creating a robotic artifact there's no need for a host computer there's no need for, for running electricity. All you have to do is you have to take some of these blocks in your, in your pocket, in your hand, and start uh, throwing them out on, on the ground and, um, and start building with them. As soon as you put one block on top of the other one, you see what happens. You, you get an immediate feedback. Um, and that helps in, uh, in allowing anybody to start creating uh, new electronic artifacts with these uh, this building blocks. Do you have an example of a robotic system that these blocks can build up to? Um, yes. Yeah, so, so for instance, if you you, you could uh, just uh, an example from uh, from some of the things that they have done in Africa. They have, uh, for instance, um, one one guy said, "Well, uh, couldn't I? Uh, I have in my family somebody who's blind. So couldn't I imagine putting a number of these blocks together? I use uh, 
uh, one of the sonar blocks. Um, I use a um, a microphone. I use a sound block, and I use a um, an actuator block. So putting uh, five, six, seven of these blocks together, what essentially he, he was creating was a blind man stick, but an active blind man stick that uh, that as a prototype showed how he could make a system where the blind man could walk with a stick that gives you a sound or a vibration feedback when you are coming too close to objects. A simple thing, but nevertheless a thing that's very important in that local context. You're also the director of Entertainment Robotics, which is a spin-off SME company from your Adaptronics Research Group. I can imagine that the market for such playware and educational robots is huge. Is that the case? Uh? Yes, uh, because that, uh, if, if you think about it, um, play and playware enters our lives in so many aspects. And certainly if a number of products could have a playful uh, aspect to them, then they would, uh, they would have a huge, uh, huge opportunity for selling on, on the market. We can talk simply in terms of, of play itself, of course, play tools, toys, and so forth, but also as we have talked about in terms of therapy uh, of the cardiac patients for hospitals uh, or other patients, really, to make uh, products that make the rehabilitation playful for children with autism. For another example, fitness training. Imagine all the fitness centers. If they could have their equipment become playful and not just dull and repetitive, then that would be uh, be a huge thing. So there's a big market. In sports, we are actually making... Some uh, some interactive uh, things for for ball games like uh, football games, handball, and and so forth, where instead of just uh, playing against, uh, for instance, if you're playing yourself against a wall, you're playing against an interactive wall now that can give immediate feedback on the way that you're you're playing. Another example would be uh, music, where we have uh, where we. Are gone together with a, um, a very um, famous musician called Funk Star Deluxe who won the World Music Award. To, with him, uh, I'm creating this thing we call Robo Music, where we're using different modular robotic uh, instruments to create the music to allow anybody, really you could imagine buying these uh, this small, uh, for instance, small cubes to have in your home. And when you download the, the music, the new album, then what you're doing is when you're putting some of these uh, these blocks together, you're changing the music, you're making actually your own live performance at home. So there's a big market because uh, play enters so many aspects of, uh, of our lives if we think about it and if we create such opportunities. Do you think that the intelligence or the fact that these, these playwares can adapt to different people is important or could these products be just... Uh perfectly uh, sellable for the market without this intelligence? Uh, no, I, I actually think that the, the, the intelligence uh, is, is needed because, uh, because you need to get uh, things that are adaptive to the, to the individual user. I, I think a very important aspect is how do we create the, the human-robot interaction. And for that, we need to really understand people understand users and understand that there are differences between users and therefore we also need 
equipment, we need products that are able to adapt to the different uses, to the different cultures, to the different uh, ways of, uh, that people would like to interact with these things. That's really also one of the reasons why, in terms of, uh, of research, we have recently created what we call the Center for Playware, where we have uh, people from the human sciences and art to work uh, in the same building as us on creating playware together with us who are developing robotics and uh, modern artificial intelligence. So I think it's really important that we understand the human culture, the way that uh, that people are interacting and are interacting with different devices. And by that, we will certainly understand that we need to make devices that are adaptive, that are intelligent. Let's talk a bit about the future now. What do you see as the most promising areas of research in your field for the next 20 years? Well, essentially, I see, uh, as maybe it's no surprise, that it's, uh, it's really the combination between embodied artificial intelligence and modular robotics that gives uh, many new opportunities, especially if we combine that with the understanding of how uh, the relationship between the human and robot is, the human-robot interaction. Really, I think one of the most important things for, for the next 20 years is to take uh, robotics from, from the laboratory and out to really become an influence on the daily lives of everybody. And we need really to take that much more serious, that, that aspect of how do, uh, how do the robotics influence the daily life and how can we make it influence the daily life in a very positive manner. So, so in the combination between these uh, these fields, the, the the embodied AI and modular robotics, that gives the opportunity to create this new a um, uh, huge variety of new um, robotic-inspired products. I, I see uh, see a big uh, big promising area if we understand how that influences the daily lives. If we combine that with uh, with the knowledge of, uh, of the human sciences and arts. In all areas of robotics now, where do you see the biggest potential? Well, well, in robotics, uh, if, if, if I have to look ahead, I, I, I think really where we'll see a big uh, revolution, and uh, that's probably going to be over the next 20 years as well, that will be in, uh, in, the, in the material use in robotics. So really what kind of materials are we are we using to create our robots? And uh, and I do see that we'll be moving towards much more soft material than we have today. And that will change not only, of course, the outlook of the robot, the feel of the robot, but it will also change the way that we are controlling the robot. So it will change both hardware and software and interaction potentials when we are starting to to utilize much more the soft materials uh, in, in really the, the embodied artificial intelligence uh, tradition of, uh, of looking at the interplay between uh, material and uh, energy use and, uh, and hardware and software in general and, and the environment. So, so really, I would see a huge uh, revolution or paradigm shift whenever we as researchers uh, or big group of us start using different kinds of, uh, of soft material for the robots. And what do you see as the main limits and challenges in robotics in the, in the next future, so the challenges that we should start addressing now? Well, 
essentially i can say that um, that that uh, i agree with uh, with somebody like bill gates who who said uh, early this year that uh, that service and entertainment robots may uh, well change our lives and uh, when he sees that uh, robots will change the the way that we live the w- the same way as the computers did in the last century but in order to do so i really see that uh, again that uh, that the impact will be whenever we understand how to how they can help us in our daily lives i i see that they will have that robotics will have an impact on uh, on on the um, the way of, uh, of of making physical interaction with uh, with products with uh, devices in our daily lives because robotics uh, differently from uh, from computers computer science has this aspect of trying to understand the the uh, sensory uh, motor uh, relationship the the input output relationship uh, and really the relationship between the physical artifact and the environment where the environment of course also includes the human user so that's where I'll, I will I see it will have an impact, and I do believe that in the service and entertainment uh, sector we'll see a, a huge uh, change over over the next um, decades. Thanks, Hendrik, for being here with us on Talking Robots. Thanks for hosting me here. Thanks. This concludes this episode of Talking Robots with Hendrik Lund on Playware and Edutainment Robots. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you in two weeks. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch. <laughs>